How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Father, you have come to us in your fullness and in your presence and in your word. We bow before you this morning, turning our gaze to the one who has first turned himself toward us and spoken to us and told us what we would not know had you not. So we come to you hungry, thirsty, lonely. We come to you, the one who made us for himself, that comes to us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, we have uh, <clears throat> I've noticed over the years, we, we don't have many rules at our house. Um, in fact, we have fewer rules than we used to. Maybe that's because we're now empty nesters, probably has something to do with it. We call them guidelines for many of those years, but there was one rule or guideline that was untouchable. It was before children, and it has lasted after their departure from the house. No Christmas music comes out until December 1st. <laughs> now, there was a reason for that. At one time, uh, the thought was, well, we don't want to get tired of it. But then we realized you never get tired of it. And so the, ra the rationale became, well, we don't want to, and this is where it has landed, we don't want to peak too soon because we're preparing for Christmas. In fact, that's what we do is we mark Advent. We're anticipating so that with each week, there's another glimpse and picture and more joy. So we want our joy to peak. But the fact is, the reality is, that Christmas and this time of year is hard for most of us in some way. Some of the hard edge to this time of year is the fact that there's so many things that we use to create or remind us of the joy that should be ours. And we pull down box after box out of the attic filled with things that are designed and meant and often remind us of the joy of years gone by and, and family and where that gift came from and the ornaments on the tree that were my mother's. There's a joy that goes with that. But the fact is 
that some of you, or many of us perhaps, wonder if you will peak. Not too soon. At all. I still remember the words when they came from the lips of the man in front of me when he said, what has happened to all your joy? I was in my mid-30s, and I was in a group, actually. It was a large group, but for a few moments, it felt like I was the only one in the room. What has happened to all your joy? That question continues to stay, and it always reminds me that, that there is a joy that is meant to be ours And it's a joy that comes and goes. And then the question is, well, when it comes, why does it go? You know what I'm talking about? There's a joy that we get in parts and in episodes, but it doesn't seem to be as enduring as maybe it is for others. And something that I've learned along the way, I hope I've learned along the way, is that the way to recover and the way to see the joy that others have is to see what they see. That's what Isaiah invites us into today. To see what he sees. To see what he saws. And you could think of the passage in front of us as a Christmas gift from a prophet. And as you unwrap this Christmas gift, it's more like the unveiling of a painting. That's what Isaiah has placed in front of us today. It's an unveiling of a painting, and in that painting is a sight to behold that prompts and spurs a joy that is enduring. Are you curious? The setting is different from ours. Uh, The backdrop to this passage that we read is the Assyrian Empire and then eventually the Babylonian Empire. But but international powers that, that cast a dark shadow over the gathered people of God in Jerusalem. And when Isaiah writes what we've read today and we'll explore, he's writing with this Babylonian exile in view. Not so much as a resident in Babylon. There's nothing in the text to indicate any eyewitness account of what Babylon is like, but more prophetic and more perspective of what it means to be trapped far away with your God missing in action. That's the context. But then into that context, there's a breakthrough. And the unveiling of this painting has features that you must not miss. A messenger. Watchmen scattered at intervals along a wall watching from the city. The city behind and then the nations beyond. That's the picture that Isaiah paints with words. But we come to that picture with, without the hope 
we don't see what he sees. And one of the reasons we don't see what he sees so well and so clearly is that there are things in your life and mind that function as what I will call joy robbers. You know, the things that rob us of joy. Things like anxiety. Do you know that one? Worry. Things like apathy. Some of you know that one. Bitterness or regret. It's hard to to hold on to any one of those or more than one and be joyful. But you know what else is true? It's hard to be truly joyful and hold on to any of those. And that's where Isaiah takes us. We want to see what he sees because while the world is awash in gloom, those who belong to Christ and see what Isaiah saw have reasons to live differently. And he shows us. We're going to look at these with the time that we have, which is not much. The messenger and his message. Verse 7, look at it. There you see Isaiah's description. There's something that was a figure on the horizon, and it began to move. It wasn't a rock after all. It began to move, and now it's running, and it turns out to be, this is a messenger, and look at that. Those are beautiful feet bringing word from across the mountain. We don't know what the site really contained, but as Isaiah described it, there is a breakthrough. We see passages in the Old Testament and other places. David, for example, was waiting on news about the army's battle, and the messenger comes over the hill, and he's got a mixed message. David, you've won, but you've lost your son. That was hard to hear. And sometimes we expect that that's the kind of message that we would hear from the one who made this world that comes to us. There's good and bad. It's a mixed story. And life in this world is mixed, frankly, because there is death, there is hardship, there is heartache, which is why some of you wonder if you will peak. But this messenger comes with a message full of joyful news. And there is a story that is playing out that is filled with only joyful news. And that's important to remember. We're not yet into that part of the story. We live in a world marked by sin and brokenness and the fall. And there is heartache and there is anguish. And there are reasons to worry, but not adequately. They're not adequate and sufficient because there's a bigger story that we're a part of. Messages that contain words like, as this one, peace. Peace is at hand. That's shalom. That's the word that that the messenger brings. It's a message of peace, a harmonious peace where things actually do fit together. It's like a, a fabric that is knit and quilted together. There is something good at work in the world, in the work and the person of the one who made this world. And peace is what is at work and is coming your way. Good news of good is what it literally says. It's good news of good. It's the word that's translated in the, in the Greek version of this as, guess what? Gospel. Which is why in Romans 10, Paul talks about the gospel and the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful. Looking at this particular passage. 
It's why in, in Luke 2, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not for behold, I bring you, guess what? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That peace and that good news of good has come to us in Christ. It's headed your way. It is your message. It is your word. It is your hope this Advent season. Good news, peace, salvation. And finally, your God reigns. You know, they used to sing that in their temple songs. They used to sing Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord reigns, 97.1. Let the earth rejoice, 99.1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. And can't you imagine that with the circumstances that we've described, that Isaiah is writing into, that when you get to that line in the, in the song, you want it, you hesitate. Our God reigns? I mean, look at the circumstances. And some of you this day get to that line in the hymn or the psalm and you hesitate. My God reigns? He reigns, as one person said, maybe like the governor during a prison riot when, yes, he's in control, but no, he's not in the circumstances. That's the way it feels sometimes. But your God reigns, and that's the best news you will ever hear. Your God reigns. That he owns it all. There's never a moment that he's not in control. That the circumstances that we look to to prop us up and to provide the joy that others seem to have are totally in his hand. And so are you. Your God reigns. As Ray Ortland put it, it's the only cause in the world that will finally succeed. And you're in that story. You're in that picture. You're in that painting. The message you see of peace, of good news, of salvation is not that God loves us, but that he loves us with a love that cannot be defeated because your God reigns. You can build some joy around that. But he doesn't stop there. That's the messenger and his message. We need to see also the watchman and how they respond. The watchman in their song. These are those whose eyes were trained on the horizon, stationed at intervals along the wall, <clears throat> looking for a break, either the enemy coming across the mountain or a messenger, in this case, coming with news of what had occurred. The word watchman actually comes from a word to lean forward, <laughs> to peer into the distance. And that was their posture. And the watchmen are waiting, and they see the messenger come, and their response is striking. Their response is, verse 8a, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy because of the look on the messenger's face and the words that flow from his report. Your God reigns. And the song begins. The party begins. You know, that word, it's translated sing, and that's appropriate. Uh, it's also translated shout for joy. But the word actually means they awake from a stupor. They become sober. They, they, they come out of it. They come out of the, the darkness and the, and, the, and the doubt and the despair and the bewilderment. 
They've moved from a nervous, what's going to happen, to a joyful, we've won. And they break out in noise, <laughs> loud shouting. Singing is appropriate translation of that. Here's how Isaiah put it uh, in a couple of other places earlier in his book. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. That's the picture. Awakening from a stupor and singing in response. Isaiah 35, then the lame, those who cannot walk, leap like a deer. Do you see that? Uh, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Those who couldn't sing at all are now singing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's the picture that, that elicits and spurs a group of watchmen to sing and shout for joy. But then there's the city, the city behind the watchmen. And they together break forth into song, formerly a city filled with doubt, despair, and described here by Isaiah as a wasteland. They had taken down the signs pointing to Jerusalem, and the new signs read, Wasteland. That was the feature of the day. That was the mood and the atmosphere. That was, that was what was left because all they could remember what, what, what used to be. Some of you have good memories of your past. So good that your present pales. Remember how good things used to be when, and that was their story, because things had not been good. Things were broken, and they were left <clears throat> to themselves, it appeared. But the city, formerly a wasteland, is being restored. In chapter 51, which we didn't read prior, Isaiah writes, For the Lord makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Do you see what's going on? There's a picture. And as broken as this one is, there's a work that God is doing to restore, to bring life out of death, to bring fruit from a thorn bush. That's what's going on. And the city responds and, and the song spreads and now all Jerusalem becomes the choir. And what they sing of, they sing about comfort. Because your God has comforted you or consoled is a way to understand that word. Comfort, comfort my people, Isaiah wrote earlier says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, for her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. There is a reason to sing and it's because you're comforted. God, you see, meets us with our apathy, in our anxiety and our worry, in our bitterness and in our regret. He comes to us and comforts us as nothing else or no one else ever has 
or ever will or ever can. And when you're trapped in anxiety, when you're trapped in apathy, when you're trapped in bitterness or regret, there is one comfort. It's the one who knows you. The one who comes to you and looks at you and says, you're mine. That's consolation. That's comfort. And that's a reason to sing joyfully. It's not just comfort, though. It's redemption. That's the word. You are redeemed, he writes. There's a saving from danger or hostility. There are threats to us. And our greatest threat is the greatest enemy of all. It's the sin and and the evil one who works in this world. And you've been redeemed and purchased and transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light as we sung. You've been redeemed. Kinsman redeemer is the notion there in the picture. And some of you will remember that from Boaz who purchased and bought Ruth. And that's the picture that Isaiah points back to. But there's another picture, isn't there, that he's pointing forward to. That there is a kinsman redeemer who will come and purchase and redeem and purchase and shall establish justice on behalf of his relative. And the God who made this world breaks into this world in his son Jesus Christ to establish and procure justice for his relative and pardon for our sin, purchasing us from that which enslaves. Comfort and redemption. So the city sings. But it's not just the city. Verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. There are nations on watch. There are nations standing by that are observing what goes on in Jerusalem. Some of them waiting to pounce. Some of them waiting to destroy. And what they see instead, a very graphic image that Isaiah gives us, a bare arm, a bare holy arm with sleeves rolled up to work because the God who reigns is powerful. That's what that picture is. He's able to get things done. He's able to move into something that is overwhelming like worry, and apathy, and bitterness, and regret, and undo that because there is something more true and more enduring than the circumstances and conditions of our lives that create worry, and apathy, and bitterness, and regret. And he comes to us, and he's powerful. What they will see is that he is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men, The psalmist writes, come and see what God has done. And the nations are watching and they come to see. And they come to see and they stand back because they don't see that anywhere else. They don't see that anywhere else. Oh, there are powers in the world. There are influencers. There are threats. There is religious activity of all kinds. But what the nations observe is a thorn bush becomes a fruit tree. 
a place of desolation becomes Eden. A place that was ruined is full of hope and joy. You see, if your name is Isaiah, you see more clearly and you see further than most. If your name is Simeon, you have a story to tell. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said... Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the nations, and for glory to your people Israel. The way we find hope is to see what those with hope see so clearly. So we borrow Isaiah's eyes to see this painting that he has rolled out in front of us and it's on display. But we read that they saw that they would see eye to eye. That doesn't mean as we use the phrase, they're in agreement. The phrase eye to eye means with clarity. And there's something that needs to be clear before you really understand what Isaiah is trying to do. I skipped over it on purpose. But if you look at verse 8, the very end, eye to eye they see, and what is it, or better, who is it that they see? They see the return of the Lord to Zion. What they see is not a messenger, not an emissary, not a prophet. It is the Lord himself that they see. This is different. This is striking. It's not just a general from the battlefield has come with his troops. It's the Lord himself who has come. He comes. He enters the picture. And when he does, it's a game changer. It changes everything. Because the one who made us and has stepped into this picture has come in all of his fullness You see, we find in the one who enters this picture, the Lord himself, the one who is present with his people, Emmanuel, God with us. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, John writes, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's that incarnation that we mark this day, it's that that God himself has entered the picture, he's entered the story, he's entered your apathy. your bitterness, your regret, your worry. He's entered your Christmas preparations. And the songs that we sing, the words that we share, the memories that we recall can create in us something that may endure for a season. But when God enters the picture, when the Lord himself enters your story, it's a game changer. It doesn't go away when the boxes go back in the attic and when the music is hidden for another 11 months. It doesn't go away. He has come. God in our midst. You have been given another name, the name Christian, and with that is an inheritance and promise after promise. John Piper put it like this, when your hope begins to fade, you can push back the darkness with the light of God's promises. He is the strength of your heart. And when apathy and anxiety and bitterness and regret or whatever else robs you of your joy shows its head and bears its arm to you, remember there's another arm. There is a holy arm that has not only been made bare, but has shown itself strong, himself strong, You've got a Christmas painting. And in the midst of that painting is God himself. So with David. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, because your God reigns and rules and is present and loves you with a love that cannot be defeated. Let's pray. Father, that picture is compelling to elicit in us something more than the memories of Christmases long ago can conjure up. And Lord, we want to be a people who are formed and shaped by that which is true and lasting and beautiful and enduring. And we have broken parts of our lives that are far from joyful. But in the midst of those circumstances, you come. And would you meet us in the moment?
at this point in our lives, in this part of our story, as we look to you, to you, the one who writes our story and the one who is true and good and beautiful and lovely and worth our, our love and our adoration. Hear our prayer, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.